this year. The last uh, three years, you know, we started uh, Mosaic in 2015, and we're not far from an anniversary again. And uh, it has been a journey. And this year, and, and many of you know, every year I think I get up and say that I'm not really big on saying, hey, this is your best year yet. I can't actually stand that kind of talk, actually. But uh, I will say this. This has been my best year so far. And I have rarely have come across a year where I felt confidence as soon as the year began that God was going to do something uh, uh, that he had not done yet. And I feel it this year. And maybe it's because we walked through the whole gospel of Mark together took us a year and three months, but we walked through that whole book together. And then we walked into Acts and the power of the Holy Spirit. And we spent a long time, I think it was like five or six weeks, talking just about the power of the Holy Spirit, people being filled with the Holy Spirit, speaking in tongues, being uh, uh, laying hands, all these things. And we, we're, we're walking in that area now. And this is where I come from. This is the roots of where I come from as far as what roots, uh, little roots I have. I wasn't saved my whole life, didn't know Jesus till my mid-20s, didn't grow up and definitely for sure in anything Pentecostal, charismatic, or spirit-filled, but I can't deny a God who came and introduced himself to me as a spirit-filled God you know, who, 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 who had I, once hands were laid upon me and, and these uh, older women begin, like it wasn't the pastor uh, when I first felt the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and I spoke in tongues for the first time, it was wasn't a man who laid hands on me. It was three women, three women who were praying women in the church who laid hands over me about the calling that God had on my life. And to me, it seemed like I was just young. And that was the only reason they were laying hands on me in the first place. Hey, look, we finally got a young person in the church. Let's lay hands that God's calling him to ministry. And uh, but for whatever reason, God decided that was the moment he was going to pour out a spirit upon me. And I remember speaking in tongues for the first time thinking, okay, I've officially gone over to the crazy side. But you know what? I also remember thinking, I don't ever want to come back either. Like I was so confident and so sure. And from that day forth, I knew that God was real. I'd had an experience that I can't account for. I had an experience that theology doesn't like sometimes. Doesn't fit into everything that everybody thinks and says, what am I going to do with that? I just know what I know. What I know within the depths of me is that Jesus is real. How do I know? Because he introduced himself. How do I know? Because the spirit has filled me with the evidence of speaking in tongues. I, how do I know? Because I, I just do. I wish I could say there's this awesome theological thing just to convince you. I could show you scripture where my experience was much like many others. But at the end of the day, my experience is still just my experience. But let me tell you where it first started. It started, the whole thing began in prayer. It was through prayer that I received salvation, right? The prayer of repentance. Lord, I'm a wicked man. I need help. I'm unclean. Lord, I come to you. I repent. I say, repent means, by the way, that we turn 180. We don't keep doing or functioning in the sin or keep walking in the sin. It means that at some point we turn around and go, listen, I'm completely going to do a 180 from my sin, God, and walk away from it. Now, listen, don't hear me. Don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying you're not going to make mistakes. What I am going to say is we said this I think on Wednesday, the biggest Christian thing I know is to get back up and try again. And you know what you find out over the years? It wasn't by my own strength that I was able to conquer anything in my life. None of these vices that have held me, the vices of sin, none of those things I conquered in my own walk. It was through the power of the Holy Ghost that I was able to conquer those things so that I can't boast because faith wasn't given to me. I can't boast because the Holy Spirit was a gift to me. I can't boast at all because it wasn't even my own strength. It's the strength of the Lord. 
Where did I get that? Well, you know what happened is I kept praying. I had experiences through God, right? I have greater testimonies. I told one the last time I was in here about how I was in the wreck, remember, and I prayed because I couldn't make the rent. And uh, because I couldn't make the rent, God had sent an answer that was, it already sent it three hours before I even prayed and I received the answer. And it's moments like that, right? I had these unbelievable testimonies with the Lord, but how did it begin? Well, it began by prayer. It began by because I have a communicating line between me and the Father. How did Jesus have power? Because he had, a, he had direct comms, like we like to say in the military, he had direct comms with the Lord. Well, how did, when Jesus healed the blind man, what did he do? He laid his hands on him and he prayed and he was healed. Right? The, the disciples didn't want to know uh, what it took to do miracles because they saw what it took to perform miracles. It took prayer. So Lord, don't teach us how to do miracles. Teach us how to pray. It's, 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 listen, in talking and discussing and learning about all these things, I keep coming back and wondering, why is it so difficult? Why is it so hard? And I'm a pastor. I mean, I love everything uh, about Jesus. I revolve my life around Jesus. I, I am pretty hardcore about Jesus. And yet prayer is still hard even for me. It's hard. I still struggle to pick up my cross. I still struggle to bow my knees and make time for God. Even a pastor, like, and I know that a lot of people think, well, pastors, you get paid to pray. Man, if you get paid to pray, it's probably not real prayer, real prayer. Because I'm going to tell you what, if you don't have a prayer game before you get to the pulpit, you ain't going to have one after it. You better have some disciplines established before you ever get to the stage part of this, because the stage will kill you. It'll bring pride out of you. It'll bring a lot of things out of you if you don't have a prayer game. I still struggle even. But here's the thing. The more I pray, the more something I I do realize that happens. Prayer causes my heart to change more than anything else. Like I keep praying for all these other things. Lord, help these people. Lord, help these people. What happens is my heart begins to change and how my look at my situation begins to change and how I view my circumstance begins to change. I start changing. And maybe that's why we kind of shy away from it. Maybe we're all just afraid of change. Maybe that's too hard. And if we're really being honest, maybe we just want things our way. I mean, you know, I said this thing on Wednesday. I think the easiest thing for me to say as the disciple, I taught students the basics. Here's what I call the basics, okay? And this is what I taught students. I taught them three things. This is all you need to know about Christianity. And if you can do these three things, right? All right, like my dad used to say that 90% of most people when we played baseball, my dad was a real big baseball guy, uh, taught it from the time I was little. I can't remember a time where I didn't have a glove, a bat, or, or a ball. Just didn't, it just didn't happen. And my dad coached us in baseball from the time we just couldn't play anymore. And even then wanted us to play softball with him and just constantly about baseball. And he said, listen, one of the reasons y'all always appear so good to everybody else, to your coaches and everything else, is because I taught you the basics. Most people just don't know the basics of what they do. And if you just had the basic fundamentals, it already makes you a better player than most. And so this, I apply that same idea, that same concept to Christianity. I think it's the same. If I can teach you these three fundamentals, I thought this as a, as a, as a student pastor, I still think it as an adult pastor, but I try to make it spice it up a little bit, but it's still kind of the same. I still preach, this is the core of my being. But number one is this, you, we have to teach you how to pray. If you have no prayer life, you're probably not Christian period. 
There's no such thing as a Christian that doesn't pray. You have to know how to pray to be a believer. The only way to do it is to practice. How do you practice? By doing it. That's it. Well, what if I do it wrong? There's no way to do it wrong. Just start talking to God. You'll figure it out. Second thing we used to teach in student ministry, you got to read your Bible. That's probably the number one thing I see hardly anybody do anymore. Everybody wants somebody else's knowledge. They want somebody else to speak truth into them. They want somebody else to speak life into them. They want to listen to the pastor, apply what the pastor says, but never go back and read what the pastor reads. I always thought it was funny. You come to church to listen to a guy who just prays and reads. When all you could do it, you could do it yourself. That's crazy to me. That's crazy to me. I, I spent a lot of time reading the Bible and praying. You could do the same thing. When I, when I first took, uh, uh, one of the things I was encouraged on, I wanna, when I got hired on the first assembly, I was not a credentialed or a licensed pastor with the Assemblies of God. I wasn't either one of them. They took a risk on me. They said, hey, man, we think this guy's good. We're going to hire him in. We want him to finish the schooling. And I remember thinking, telling Joy, like, I don't know what I'm going to do. Like, I've never taken any schooling, Bible school at all. And they're hiring me out as a pastor. I mean, I've honestly studied a lot. And I knew a lot about the Bible and a lot about the Word. And I thought, oh, this is going to be so hard. I mean, because, right, it's got to be so hard to be a pastor. I mean, surely these guys got to know a lot of stuff. And I began to take the books and the courses. Then I got to where it was like, the thing is so basic, simple. I was insulted almost. I started just taking the test. Didn't even read the book. Acing the test after test after test. I was like, this is all they teach? This is all it takes to be a pastor? Like, man. Like, oh my, how did this, anybody could be one then. And that's honestly how I felt. I got credentialed like that, right? Did my, did my, uh, uh, they do a, uh, uh, I remember they do this credentialing thing where they interview you, asking me questions about theology that's not on the test. And I'm totally just going through that thing like it's nothing. And nobody taught me that. I didn't learn that in a book. I learned that by reading the Bible. I just read the Bible. I'm always amazed when people are like, when they hear something like, oh, wow. Like, I'm like, yeah, that story's in the Bible. You could have just read it on your own. Like, you didn't even have to listen to that whole thing. You could have just read that thing on your own and know it. And when I got to my licensing test, same way. I didn't even read a book. I just took the test and aced all the tests. And I was like, well, I just thought, and you know the irony to me is, and, and maybe I'm just foolish or foolhearted in thinking this, the people who were teaching me Christianity, they, Christianity, they taught me that this is what it was to be a Christian. Listen, guys, you got to pray. Jim, you need, you need to have a prayer life. You need to go, okay, now that you're saved, you've received salvation in your heart, this is what you must do. And I'm sure you've all heard of this, right? You're going to need to start praying. Start praying to the Lord. Get up in the morning. Have a prayer life. Just start talking. It's going to be hard at first. It's okay. It's going to feel like you're going to be tired. You're going to think of all these other things. It's okay, but just start somewhere right? And then the next thing we says, you got to need to learn your scriptures. We used to be really big in the church about memorizing scriptures. You need to memorize scriptures. You need to memorize scriptures. You know, one of the greatest things one of the pastors does here in this town, Ross over there at First, uh, First Baptist, you know, one of the coolest things I think he does all year? He has one service every year where he teaches the entire Sermon on the Mount, and he doesn't, what he does is he doesn't teach it, he quotes it verbatim, right out of the Bible. He memorized the entire Sermon on the Mount. And so that when he gets up, he preaches it just as if Jesus were preaching it. By heart, guys. By heart. That is awesome. Right? But there was a time where the older generation taught me, like, this is part of Christianity. You read your Bible and you pray. Pretty simple. So this is what I did. 
I took their advice. I began to read my Bible. I began to learn what the Bible said. I began to tear into this thing. I'm way off my notes at this point. But I began to tear into this thing. I began to open this up and look into it and go look at all these things and begin to develop this life with the Lord, right? And then it would shock me or amaze me when I would meet people who loved Jesus or professingly loved Jesus and not do any of this. And, like, and, and then my frustration grew into this. All I did was become what you told me to do. And then now the frustration was they were, they were like, you have all this knowledge. You should go teach. You're like, all I did was do what you told me to do. I didn't do anything else. The older generation, little gray-haired generation that would prayed over me, this is what they told me to do, and this is what I did. And this is what I became through it. God began to elevate me in certain places because I just, I just did the basics. I feel like I just did the basics. I don't feel like I'm a theologian. I'm no theologian. This is just what happens when you begin to do what they, if you'll just do the basics. You begin to develop a prayer life. You begin to develop a life built around God's word, right? Things start to change inside of you. Why? Because the word of life begins to become part of you. These stories, they become part of my own life stories, right? I mean, uh, one of my favorite things to do is just start telling Bible stories to people who've never heard them. Like uh, one of the, you know, going through Samuel and telling stories about the mighty men and, and telling stories. And they're like, wow, that's awesome. Where did you hear that? I heard it. it was in the Bible. That's where I heard it. Like, you've been going to church for 20 years. How'd you not know that story? I mean, like, it's in the Bible. It's an awesome story. You know, there's so much good stuff in there. It's there for you to take and eat and consume and, and learn from. So much there. But you know what? Also, you know, I couldn't have seen all that unless I had conquered the first one. Prayer. Prayer changes us. Prayer opens our eyes. Prayer allows us to see things that were once hidden. It develops uh, in us this whole different way of looking at things. Now everything I see in the Bible, what, automatically fits it to my life. Like I, I don't just see it as this awesome story. Now I see this story with something to learn and glean from, right? And it's become this unimaginable treasure with depths for which I can't, I can't get to the end of, right? It just keeps reinventing itself. It keeps renewing. It's such a, an alive word, right? The older I get, the more I'm sure that we have to find a way to draw closer to God, right? And that's done only through prayer, right? Uh, uh, it, it can't be that we should pray. It has to be we must pray. We must pray. Jesus constantly got on to Peter for falling asleep when he was praying. And guys, I'm starting to think that we should follow in Jesus' footsteps. When you're not praying... You need a good kick, swift in the you know, good uh, swift kick in the butt. That's what you need. Just like Jesus to Peter. Hey man, can't you stay like up awake for ten minutes? We're just praying. How about an hour? Like I know we've been walking all day. Remember I walked there too. Like I, I love Jesus, his accountability, you know, lesson. Like getting on to Peter all the time. Peter's sleeping. By the way, don't you love Peter? You should because like he represents us, right? The ones that just can't seem to ever get it done. Right, So we always love Peter for that. Peter reminds us that uh, there's still some humanness in the gospel. Uh, but even Jesus held Peter accountable. Listen, man, you need to be praying. You know? I mean, remember the time where Jesus tells Peter, the devil seeks to sift you, but I prayed for you, Peter. Peter, you, you might have known that if you'd have stayed awake. I mean, some of us, man, don't you think that the devil wants to sift you? I've, I've literally had those kind of prayers where God has revealed to me things like that before. Let me tell you, the only reason you get revealed to is because you're awake enough to listen. Now you can have your eyes open and still be asleep these days. Prayer is vital to every believer. 
And I believe the world and the devil have little to fear over a Christian who doesn't pray. I mean, come on, honestly. Are you really a Christian if you don't pray? (laughs) I mean, seriously, how can you? Like, how can you have a relationship with God? How can you argue that what you have is a relationship at all if you never talk to the person? I call that more of an obsession. That doesn't mean you actually have a relationship. It's more like an obsession kind of thing. You have to talk to Jesus to have a relationship with Jesus. It's a two-way street here. And by the way, contrary to what most people say, Jesus does talk back. You'll know his voice because it says the sheep know his voice and they listen. You'll know the difference. You will know the difference, right? Prayer is not like a jewelry adorned around us to make us beautiful. Prayer is more like oxygen. It's our life and our strength. Prayerless Christians are powerless. They're like malnutrition people. They look like they got food in them, but there ain't nothing in them. They're empty, right? And that has to end. Why? Because the world needs it to. There's, come on, man. This place is, listen, in my small little life the past 25 years or so, I mean, I can't tell you how much sin I've witnessed. And I've never been more enlightened to the devastation or the, the depravity of man as, as it, like my time in the military. I mean, by the time I was 21, I had witnessed extreme poverty. I had seen what mass disease does to a country. I had seen death. I had seen war. This is all by the time I'm 21. I had seen human trafficking. I had seen all of it, right? I mean, come on, turn on the news for a while today, right? Our entire country is in disarray. We rant, we complain, we cry, we do anything we can, but we sure don't pray. We'd rather discuss our opinion than pray. We'd rather do anything we can physically do but pray, but it's time to wake up. Can't stay this way. We've already tried doing it every other way. It's time to get on our knees, amen? We're still asleep. It's time to get on our knees, amen? We're still working on it. Prayer can change everything. It's time we return to what we've originally been called to. The church has only been called by one name. And it ain't the house of programs. It ain't the house of women's ministry. And it ain't the house of men's ministry. It's the house of prayer. You know, what? I was telling my wife, we were talking about this a lot, about the house of prayer and that being the mission call. Like when God gives you a name, you tend to become your name. My aunt was named Rebel. She started out strong and looked really good. That was going really good there for a while. Then the sudden, I think her name became the best of her. It got the best of her, at least. She would become what her name was, Rebel. God called the house, his own house, he called it the house of prayer. Now, in youth ministry, we say we can tell who you are by your friends. Now, in adults, I would say I can tell what you love by your checkbook. You know, I can usually look at your checkbook or look at your finances and where they go. And wherever you spend the most money is what you care about the most. That's what you're going to be vested in. This is what your interests are, right? But here's the thing. God called us the house of prayer. If we were to take an inventory of everything that's going in the church, would prayer be at the top of the list? I hope so. It's called the house of prayer. How can you go to the place called the house of prayer and prayer not be the number one thing they do? Chew on that one for a while. And the thing is, I think all churches are guilty of that. You know, the easiest way for me to clear out a church right now is if I was to announce we were going to have prayer service every night and see what shows up. Because let's be honest, it'd be a dead church place to be if we're being honest but what are we called you, can't, you don't get to escape the bible 
that's not my, that's not me trying to make you feel guilty there. It's just the way it is. Look, what, we, I can't escape the fact that Jesus said we were the house of prayer. Not the house of all these other things. Not the house of outreach, evangelism. Not the house of programs. Not the house of women's ministry, children's ministry, youth ministry. We are the house of prayer. First and foremost. Number one on the list. Mission number one. To make a people who pray. A praying people create the church because it's the house of prayer. The bride is also known as the house of prayer. She is known for what? How great she looks, for how good her worship is, for how good her singing is, for how good her preaching is. Is she known for how good her programs are, her women's and and children's and youth ministries and men's ministries? No, 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 no. That's not what the bride is known for. The bride is known for how she talks to her husband. She is known as the house of prayer. That's why this is so important that's why it's so powerful and this is where we have to drive back towards this is part of the return part of the return of going back to what we know we're supposed to be doing as hard as it may be and as lonely as it may be most revivals started out with only a few people why because nobody wants to show up for the prayer meeting and everybody wants to be there when God pours himself out you go look at Azusa, it started with a couple people. Go look at the Welsh Revival, started with like one person that decided he was going to pray every day and one or two other people would join him, right? But when God started pouring his spirit out, everybody wants to be a part of that, but nobody wants to be a part of the group that it takes to get there. Everybody wants Acts 2, but nobody wants to sit in the room and wait on Acts 1. Nobody wants to show up to the church when it's just 120 believers in the upper room. They want to show up in Acts 2 when there's 3,000. I always want to be a part of the big thing. I never want to be a part of the, the struggle that it takes to get to the big thing. It shows our laziness when it comes to prayer. Let's look this morning at a part of the scriptures I want to take us to in, in Daniel chapter 9. Take us to Daniel in chapter 9. And this is the beginning. This is how we start to head to the place to become the house of prayer. This is how we start to get there. How we start to arrive at it. We'll start in Daniel chapter 9. Now I'm getting ready to preach. Getting ready to begin now. This is what happens when I get laid up for a couple weeks. Just get on fire, sitting there, thinking about it. Thinking about the Lord. Can you tell? I hope so. If fire literally shoots out from my hands, I'm sorry. Maybe not. Maybe I'm not sorry. Daniel chapter 9. Let's, 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 let's read this first two or three scriptures We'll set up the context, and then we'll get at it. Daniel chapter 9, verse 1 through 3. Say amen if you're there. Good. It was the first year of the reign of Darius the Mede, the son of Osiris, who became king of the Babylonians. During the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, learned from reading the word of the Lord. Where did he learn it? From reading the word of the Lord. As revealed to Jeremiah the prophet, that Jeremiah must lie, or that Jerusalem must lie in desolate for seventy years. So I turned to the Lord and I pleaded with him in prayer and fasting. I also wore rough burlap and sprinkled myself with ashes. Let's pray real quick, Father. Right now, it is as we study prayer, God, we come to you in prayer, and we ask that our eyes be open as Daniel's was. To Jeremiah's thoughts, Lord, and to Jeremiah's word from you, Lord, may our eyes now be open that we may see like Daniel and see like Jeremiah into the spirit of things, God. That we may use our discernment now, the very wisdom that you've given us by pouring the Holy Spirit into us, God, to discern 
now, Lord, the word that you want to pour into our heart. Breathe fire into us today, God, and change us forever. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So let's get some things clear and out of the way when it comes to talking about Daniel so that we're all on the same platform. Jerusalem has been overtaken by the Babylonians. The Jews were conquered. The Babylonians came in. They stole, basically. They took his slaves, however you want to look at it, uh, what they perceived to be the brightest and best of the young boys and girls to be used as servants for the king and the palace. Now, Daniel was about Uh, We're guessing around 16 years old as this prayer kind of goes forth. But young doesn't mean that he's stupid because he's not. He's not lazy and nor is he weak. Daniel has faith in God. He has believed in God. He believes God answers prayer, which is why he's praying. And Daniel had a prayer life uh, uh, of which we can see. He prayed and he even fasted constantly. If there is a theme in the entire book of Daniel, it is that Daniel prayed And that God answered. (laughs) Now let's look at his prayer. Let's look at his prayer. Verse 4. I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed. Oh Lord, you are a great and awesome God. You always fulfill your covenant and keep your promises of unfailing love to those who love you and obey your commands. But we have sinned and done wrong. We have rebelled against you and scorned your commands and regulations. We have refused to listen to your servants, the prophets, who spoke on your authority to our kings and princes and ancestors and to all the people of the land. Lord, you are in the right. But as you see, our faces are covered with shame. This is true of all of us, including the people of Judah and Jerusalem and all of Israel, scattered near and far, wherever you have driven us because of our disloyalty to you. O Lord, we and our kings, princes, and ancestors are covered with shame because we have sinned against you. But the Lord our God is merciful and forgiving. Even though we have rebelled against him, we have not obeyed the Lord our God, for we have not followed the instructions he gave us through his servants, the prophets. All Israel has disobeyed your instruction and turned away, refusing to listen to your voice. So now the solemn curses and judgments written in the laws of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured down upon us because of our sin. You have kept your word and done to us and our rulers exactly as you warned. Never has there been such a disaster as happened in Jerusalem. Every curse written against us in the law of Moses has come true. Yet we have refused to seek mercy from the Lord our God by turning from our sins and recognizing his truth. Therefore, the Lord has brought upon us the disaster he prepared. The Lord our God was right to do all these things, for we did not obey him. Our Lord, O Lord, our God, you brought lasting honor to your name by rescuing your people from Egypt in a great display of power. But we have sinned and are full of wickedness. In view of all your faithful mercies, Lord, please turn your furious anger away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy mountain. All the neighboring nations mock Jerusalem and your people because of our sins and the sins of our ancestors. O our God, hear your servant's prayer. Listen as 
I plead for your own sake, Lord, smile again on your desolate sanctuary. Oh, my God, lean down and listen to me. Open your eyes and see our despair. See how your city, the city that bears your name, lies in ruins. We make this plea, not because we deserve help, but because of your mercy. Oh, Lord, hear. Oh, Lord, forgive. Oh, Lord, listen and act for your own sake. Do not delay. Oh, my God, for your people and your city bear your name. Now that's praying. That's praying. Church, there's something about owning your sin. And maybe even owning the sin of your nation. Daniel owned the sin of all his people, even though he hadn't has sinned as badly as they had. He had actually been captured, right? It was really the generations before him that were the cause of his situation. Do you hear me? It was the, the generations before him that were the cause of his situation. Yet he didn't lay blame upon that former generation for his living conditions. Rather, he accepted it and prayed for it as if it were solely up to him to make it right before God. It's powerful. In his prayer, he didn't blame God for their misfortunes and troubles, but he clearly pointed out that he understood what they'd done. Lord, you're right, he said. Right? <laughs> he made a point to say, God, you warned us. You did. You sure did tell us this is what was going to happen. If we didn't do these things, that's the way it was going to be. And he was even bold enough in his prayer to say, hey, God, you're right. We deserve it. We deserve everything. And I think if Daniel just would have stopped there, we probably wouldn't even ever heard of Daniel. But he doesn't, right? Daniel continues to point out the mercy of God then. But Lord, your reputation also is one of mercy. Your reputation also is one of grace. Your reputation is one where you have returned to your people as well. And you have turned your face. Right? And so he prays for forgiveness. And he prays that God immediately act upon those attributes as well. Lord, you've done your word here now. Now, Lord, please perform this side of you as well. Now, is that what our prayers sound like? I'm just asking, are we, or, or maybe do we, do we blame others for our issues? Do we think the world's this way because bad people have just been allowed to succeed or because Christians have failed to pray? Do we, could we, the church, ever take ownership for the reason our culture is the way it is? Can I tell you something? And I'm, I'm away from my notes. I don't need notes to tell you this. Look, our culture is what it is. Because of our lack of the Holy Spirit. Because of our lack of being the house of prayer. Oh, we've become the house of entertainment. We've become the house of the show. We've become a house of the platform. And it, th there's a lot of different ironies to me about church that I've always wondered. That, that little things that have become subtle things over the years. I can't remember. You know, we, we do an altar up here. I've always liked an altar. I like something that symbolizes an altar. Always have liked that. Uh, uh, in the Bible, we saw a different place. We've talked about the altar in here before. But I always found it ir uh, ironic that one of the first things that as we have progressed in church, you know, that the altars disappeared. You ever notice how the stage became the altar? 
I always wonder, when did that happen? When did the stage, the platform, become the very thing that we worshiped at? Like, that's a dangerous thing, right? I remember seeing this one time uh, uh, at, a, at a youth function where this preacher was preaching, and uh, he's standing on this platform that kind of goes out into like a centerpiece, and everybody comes, and they have no altar there. All they have is the steps of the platform, so of the stage, right? So all these people are laying around the stage. And I know, listen, God is hearing their prayers. It's not a question of that, but I was looking at this, the symbolic look at it. Standing in the back of the room is this one man stands up here with everybody bowing at his feet. And you wonder why pastors fall? <laughs> Our culture didn't get here uh, overnight. It got here because little by little, we decided what was important or unimportant in the church. Nobody shows up to the prayer, but they'll show up to a women's and a men's group. Nobody shows up to prayer, but they'll show up if we do a worship night. Nobody shows up to prayer, but they'll show up if we do this or that. But nothing else is called that. It's not the house of entertainment. It's not the house of the platform. It's not the house of the altar. It's the house of prayer. It's the house of prayer. And whether anybody shows up, that should be, be a disregard. Listen, we, we do morning prayer on, on uh, Monday mornings at the crack of dawn, man. I'm telling you, my wife feels it every time she gets up. Getting up at, at 4.35 o'clock to, to be here. By, well, we're here by 5, right? Yeah, we're here at 5 in the morning praying over here at the, at the room over there. Nobody wants to do that. But if we don't, man, there's so much that needs, what we have found, there's so much that needs prayer. There's so much that needs to be bathed in prayer. And one day really isn't enough. My hope is, is when we move to the summer and I'm not having to balance kids so much that I'm going to open up the church, the, the church daily for prayer. And you can join me or you cannot. I don't care. I'm going to pray anyway. Because God's called me to the house of prayer. Right? And by gosh, if God's called me to lead you and you're following me, I'm going to take you to the house of prayer. Or you might have to be like Joshua and just sit outside the door. But either way, I pray that you listen, man. Because God's calling us to be the house of prayer. Make no mistake about that. I'm not called to be the biggest church in town. I'm called to be the holiest one. I'm not called to be the shiniest church in town. I'm called to be the spiritual one. The righteous one. The set apart one. That's the one I'm called to be. The house of prayer one. Right? Let's do the hard work. We'll do the heavy lifting. That's what we'll do. Listen, I've done outreaches. I've done all kinds of stuff. The hardest thing ever to do in the church is the prayer service. It's the hardest one. It's probably the most awkward one, right? Because we all pray differently and we're all worried about uh, somebody's going to think that we don't pray or how we pray. We're always worried about what somebody is like, oh, I don't want to pray in front of anybody else. I think that'll be weird because I don't pray really a lot or we worry about that because we know that like all of a sudden if we don't pray a lot, we might not sound, we were going to sound like we don't pray a lot and we worry about what other people think. Let me tell you something. You should worry about what God thinks. (laughs) You should worry about what God thinks. (laughs) Daniel teaches this one aspect here. Own it. Your, own your sin. Own yourself. Daniel owns his sin. Daniel doesn't blame anybody else for his plight. It's not the Medes' fault. It's not the Babylonians are the reason we're here. It's, it's not this group over here that's the reason I'm suffering. No, it's my fault. And it's my people's fault because God warned us. He sent his pastors. He sent his teachers. He sent his prophets. They told us Jeremiah tried to warn them and they laughed at him. By the way, if you remember the story of Jeremiah, he also wrote Lamentations. You know why he wrote Lamentations? Because he cried the whole time because nobody listened to him. He spent all his life in prayer, said everything the Lord told him to say, probably had the most miserable ministry out of everybody in the Bible. And turns out Daniel goes, guess what? Jeremiah was right. Right? 
And all we did was laugh at him when he, when he, when he tried to tell us. We drove him to bitter despair in prayer. And he was right. And Daniel says, I'm not going to blame anybody else. It's my fault. And I'm going to repent. And I'm going to repent for everybody else. The blame game's got to be over. And listen, my generation definitely, we haven't helped at this. I'm going to be honest, right? We're way guilty in this area. My generation, I, I call it by another name. I call my generation the not my fault generation. I think my generation just runs around going, well, it's not really our fault. It was like that. No, hush, it is our fault. They passed the mantle. I don't care how messed up it was when we grabbed it. It's our responsibility to do something better with it. It's not an older generation's fault. Somewhere along the line, a little bit by little bit by little bit. But listen, every generation has a chance to course correct. Every generation can course correct. Listen, I got to think, if you're Daniel, the idea of thinking you're ever going to see Jerusalem whole and your people not in captivity is so far from you, <laughs> you know? But here is Daniel praying that, God, you can turn this around just as quick as we got taken by the Babylonians. You can hand it to us all back. So I'm going to start praying. I'm going to start that foothold. We're going to start believing that God's going to take us out of captivity and do something right again. Get us back where we're supposed to be. And it started because he's saying, Lord, it's my problem. I'm going to own this. Right? And not, it's not just me. It's, I'm going to own it. Me, it's, it's on me, God. And my generation is on me. And I'm going to try to start with the right foot forward. And man, look at the effect it had upon each generation that would come after. One thing's for sure. If we're ever going to change our culture, we have got to start owning our culture. We're going to have to start taking responsibility for not only our actions, but for the actions of others. This is why I get so hurt when I see pastors fall. This is why I get hurt when I see churches aren't doing good things or taking advantage of people. Because, no, listen, nobody wins when a pastor falls. Like when a pastor goes down because he's done something bad, like steal money, cheat on his wife, or something awful. You think anybody wins? You think Christianity wins? We don't wish that on nobody. Sure, do we want people exposed? Absolutely we do. But nobody wins. You know what the culture says? Told you. It's all fake and all lies anyway. That's what they say. Nobody wins when a pastor fails. We don't want to see a single church fail in Marble Falls. We don't want to see a single pastor fail in Marble Falls. Why? Because we need them. Ain't one church going to win the whole world. Well, I'll take it back. If I'm going to speak uh, metaphorically, one church will take the whole world. But I think we're going to be called by different names when you look at the buildings. It's still going to be one church. But we need these pastors in this town. We need these youth pastors. We need these men and women of God who are praying believers. We need them in our community. We need them. We need them. This, this is an unfamiliar prayer, right? So we know that Daniel, Daniel begins to, we know the story of Daniel, how it plays out. He's going to have his prayer answered. But this isn't the only time we see something like this. You don't have to turn there, but in Nehemiah, it's one of my favorite, I think, all-time uh, prayers. In Nehemiah chapter 1, uh, verse 5, we listen, listen to Nehemiah's prayer. It's going to sound the same. Nehemiah says this, Then I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great awesome God, who keeps his covenant of unfailing love with those who love him and obey his commands, listen to my prayer. Look down and see me praying night and day for your people Israel. Listen right here. He goes, I confess that we have sinned against you. Yet even, yes, even my own family and I have sinned. We've sinned terribly by not obeying the commands, decrees, and regulations that you gave us through your servant Moses. Please remember what you told your servant Moses. If 
you're unfaithful to me, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you, what? Return to me and obey my commands and live by them, then even if you are exiled to the ends of the earth, I will bring you back to a place I have chosen uh, for my name to be honored. The people you rescued by your great power and strong hand are your servants. Oh, Lord, please hear my prayer. Listen to the prayers of those of us who delight in honoring you. Please grant me success today by making the king favorable to me. Put it into his heart to be kind to me. Can you see the similarities? I hope so. It's fundamental in that it shows the the, the commonness between the two prayers. God answered both. Both Daniel and Nehemiah take ownership not only for their personal sin, but they humble themselves to take on the sin of others. I call it the prayer of ownership. Prayer of ownership. And I I don't think it's coincidence that they were both living in exile in Babylon either. It seems that we're never moved as much as when we are far from God and in unfortunate circumstances. Amen? Oh, that's the truth right there, whether you amen it or not. By the way, we are a Pentecostal church. You can't speak back. Let me know you're awake. Is that what it's going to take for us to move our nation and changing us into prayer once more? Do you need devastation in your life? Are you always going to have to have struggle with sickness and health? Are you always going to have to struggle with finances to become the house of prayer? How come you just can't pray when you're happy? How come you can't pray when it's just mundane? Listen. Listen, so it's the, you, you, everybody likes to quote, oh, it's about a relationship. No, no, no. Relationship is two-way, baby. Not one way. You know Jesus? Great. Uh, a lot of people know Jesus. And then there's people who really know Jesus, who are really his friend. You know, Leonard Ravenhill, I quote the heck out of him, but he's dead. I can tell you things that I think he would say because I've read so much about him. I have never met the man. I don't know him, but I know Jesus. I have met Jesus. I do pray and talk to Jesus all the time. I have discussions with Jesus. It's a two-way street between us. He doesn't always tell me everything that's going on. He's a lot like my parents when I grow up. I don't have to know everything. I just need to know enough, right? He's growing me up and maturing me as I can handle it. Some things are I'm always going to have to walk by faith on. I know that. You know why? Because I have a relationship with Jesus Christ. I don't know Jesus. I have a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's a two-way street here. I know him. This is what it's going to take. This is what we are looking for. This is what God is looking for. God is looking for men and women who are going to be prayer warriors. Right? God is looking for them. Ezekiel twenty-two thirty. I look for someone who might rebuild the wall of righteousness that guards the land. That's metaphoric, the wall of righteousness. I look for somebody to build the wall of righteousness that guards the land. I search for someone to stand in the gap in the wall so I wouldn't have to destroy the land. Ezekiel says, I found no one. God is looking for someone that's willing to work tirelessly to repair the broken gap of communication that lies between him and his people. He's looking for intercessors. You know who was the best intercessor? Probably the biggest intercessor? Jesus. We talk about becoming the image of Christ because that's what we're called to be. Well, if you're called to be unto the image of Christ, then you're called to be an intercessor. You're called to pray for others. God doesn't want 
to come again in wrath and judgment. He longs to reveal his mercy and grace to everyone. But even that, the Bible says, is ushered in by those who are willing to stand in the gap for their generation. And even other generations. And pray. Prayer holds the key to life beyond your imagination. You can't dream up a life better than God can give you. And the only way you're ever going to attain that life is through the act and art of praying. It's the only way. It's what I'm telling you. The majority of problems that I come get counseled, that has come to me for counseling for, can be solved in reading the Bible and praying. Because the same advice, I give out the same advice almost every time. When somebody's like, man, I'm just praying that this door opened, da, da, da. What do you think? I, like, what, what, but my first response is always, well, what did God say? Well, I don't really know. I haven't heard. Well, how much have you prayed? Well, it sounds like what you have is excuses. You can either go make a blind decision out of your own heart or you can go ask the Lord. Well, the Lord didn't say anything. Okay, so keep doing it. Sometimes that means wait. (laughs) Sometimes it's timing. Come on, the older you get, the more you've had things in your life where you know, man, aren't you glad you waited on something? And then the timing somehow worked it right out. And all of a sudden, like, oh, man, that was awesome. Right? Yeah, because you waited. Because sometimes that's what you need to do. Sometimes the Lord doesn't answer you because he's positioning you. All of this works towards that. The Lord wants to do these things. (laughs) They don't want the prayer either. They're like, that's too much. This guy's going to scream at us as soon as we walk in the door. This, this is what God's calling us to. This is, it gets sought. I'm telling you, man. Be like Daniel, Daniel and Nehemiah. Daniel and Nehemiah were specific. The other thing is they were honest. Be honest in prayer. They spoke plainly. Some of you, like I know I started out, I told you, we've laughed about it. I, I came out when I was praying. I didn't know anything. So I just, I like spoke the only thing I knew how to speak. Back then, you know, you kind of criticized a little bit if you read anything other than the King James. So I prayed in King James. I was like, I figured God spoke in King James too, so he understood it. I'd be like, Lord, thou hast known me. And I spoke like that. I thought it was so cool, especially how, how Paul talked. Man, Paul talked so cool. My brothers, my sister, you know, thou brother, my sister, you know, he's just so cool. And I, I love the whole Elizabethan tone of the King James. It's still my favorite Bible today. Um, uh, but like, God sees all through that stuff. God knows like you, like before you say, like, I don't know the words to say. Your heart does, and your heart is already speaking. This The Bible says that the Spirit is already speaking to the Spirit. And if that's the case, sometimes you don't need the words. Sometimes you just need to sit in silence. And I know that's uncomfortable for you because really you're uncomfortable in your own skin. Right? You already feel bad about approaching the Lord in the first place. Then get over that. Let me tell you the easiest way to get over that. Repent. Repent. Repent and return. God says there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ. So repent. There's no condemnation in you. God's not going to come in you like, oh, I'm just going to guilt trip you today. This is guilt trip, you know, uh, gym day. I'm just going to guilt trip you, gym, as you come to the Lord. No, God never does that. Actually, you'll find out God will break you, if anything, by speaking loving words over you. That's been more my case than my understanding of God, that any time I've come to prayer and I felt guilty, I'm like, Lord, I'm so sorry. Oh, I'm just an awful person. And the Lord, like, no, you're a mighty warrior. I'm like, no, just be quiet, God. But that's how God is. God usually speaks life over you. He speaks life over you. You'd know that if you get down on your knees and pray. You want to know what to do with that next decision? Pray about it. Well, the Lord hadn't said anything. Keep praying about it. 
You know what? If it comes to you having to make a decision, make your best decision. And guess what? Believe and have faith in the Lord. God's not going to answer every one of your prayers. That's not going to happen. Get over that. But learn to lean on the Lord. Learn to lean on the Lord. Make that your first priority. You'll get through the rest. Like, by the way, if God told you everything, there'd be no need for faith. But God has asked you to walk by faith. So some things God's going to leave to faith. And if it all goes awful and it all hurts real bad, you know who's a great physician? The Lord. And he'll help you there too. And you'd be surprised how much you, we don't like to admit it, but you'd be surprised how much suffering and hurt are some of the greatest educators and, and have a way of bringing us closer to God in a way that few people understand. It's the truth. It's the truth. We don't like to admit that. Paul wrote 75% of the New Testament. 75%. He, he is one of the most inspiring men we'll ever meet. His ministry was called the ministry of suffering. He started it by being blind for three days. Having to rely on another man to pray for him so that he could see. He is snake bitten. He is whipped. He is beaten out of town. You know how many people would just give up ministry, especially after they had to listen. One of the towns that he runs away from, he runs out of, I think it's uh, Iconium. And they had ripped his clothes from him. And he's running naked. And he runs into Lystra, finds clothes, thinks things are going to be good, and gets beaten there. He thinks he's getting away from the beating, and he doesn't get away from it at all. And he ends up getting beat anyway. Most people would quit ministry right there. Not Paul. He's glutton for punishment. And what does Paul say? Paul talks about how much more he draws closer and closer to the Lord. Closer and closer to the Lord through all of that. Some of us don't ever want to admit about pain and suffering because we hate it. I get it. But the truth of pain and suffering is most people who suffer are close with the Lord. It draws you in so much closer. And you'll have a relationship that few people can understand with God. Truth. Listen to how Daniel concludes his prayer. Daniel chapter 9. We can bring the worship in. He says, I went on praying and confessing my sin and the sin of my people. Pleading with the Lord my God for Jerusalem, his holy mountain. And as I was praying, Gabriel, whom I'd seen in an earlier vision, came swiftly to me at the time of evening sacrifice. He explained to me, Daniel, I have come here to give you insight and understanding. The mo- Listen, because this is important. The moment you begin praying, a command was given. Let me read that again. The moment you begin praying, a command was given. And now I am here to tell you what it was. For you're very precious to God. Listen carefully so that you can understand the meaning of your vision. Listen, Daniel didn't just stop praying. The scripture opened up that Daniel just kept praying, right? That he was relentless. He was just determined. He was the fervent prayer of the righteous, right? He was going to break through. into. He was going to grab God's attention and he was going to get an answer for it. He was going to plead until there was no more pleading left to do, right? And pleading, the word that it used there is, is basically is to make an, an emotional, intentional appeal. He was very emotional. So we, you can assume that anguish is upon him. You can assume that he's crying. You can assume that he feels it, right? And listen, uh, I think it's easy to say he was emotional. Come on, he's a slave. He's a slave. He literally is owned by a government, right? Living in a foreign land. He knew his people deserved to be there, but it didn't stop him from what? Repenting. Not only for his own sins, but for the sins of his entire nation. He laid himself down upon the altar 
of prayer and he poured himself out before God in hopes that God would answer. And here's the thing. What did it say? It said God did answer. Look into the insight we see into what happened in, in, in heaven. The angel said that as soon as Daniel began to pray, a command was given. As soon as he began to pray, a command was given. Daniel begins to just mouth the very first words that we read. Lord, boom. That's it. <laughs> it's almost like it was a waste of words, right? God had already heard the words of his heart. Daniel just said, Lord, that's it. God said, that's it. Let's go. Let's send the angel. Send the angel down now. The answer is coming. That's it. God is waiting. That's what it tells us. Because God is waiting to give the command. But he is waiting on those who will give themselves to prayer before he does so. Oh, God has an answer. But he's waiting. He's waiting on those who are willing to pray. God is ready to pour out fire upon the altar, but He is ready to bring uh, uh, all our country and our nation and our city back into His hands. God is ready to place the Holy Spirit into your hearts even now, even into our household. He's ready to save these kids in our schools. He's ready to show and reveal Himself. But really, are you? Because He just said, Lord, and the command was given. How long are we going to make excuses about the things we don't see in our life? We don't even pray about it. We don't even, we don't even come to a prayer. So we don't, we're not going to spend time in prayer. And then we're going to complain about everything. How long do we get to just sit and, and think that this is all there is? That we just show up on a Sunday and we just show up on a Wednesday. And, you know, the Spirit comes and falls because God is gracious. It's not because Pastor Jim teaches a really good lesson. It's not because I'm somehow more anointed or something, uh, or I've aced some theological test which makes me some kind of pastor. It's not why God shows up. God shows up because He loves you. By the way, you know what Samson teaches us? That God loves us despite us. That even though we won't pray, even though we aren't called the house of prayer, we should be, but we're not. Even though we struggle, even though we refuse to own our generation's problems, our culture's issues, even though we refuse to take the blame and change anything about the way we do church or anything else, we won't move. We keep trying to do the same thing, hoping for different results. By the way, they call that crazy. And God still shows up in churches. People still get saved. People still get filled with the Holy Spirit. People still get filled in tongues. And we call it a success while our culture is dripping in sin. And I'm going to tell you the biggest thing that I've learned here in the last four years as pastor of Mosaic Community Church and reflection upon all the ministry I've done everywhere else and as I look upon the country and the world and wonder why it's all going down why the church is so braggadocious and boastful. It's because God's grace, God's grace is bigger than we give it credit. Even though we won't pray, God still shows up. Even though we're so stubborn to still do things our way, God's still showing up because God is determined to make sure there is going to be a remnant as He promised in Isaiah. Oh, we call, oh, look how successful our church is. Look how great God loves us. Listen, do not mistake the grace of God for your success in life. That's what this last four years has taught me. Do not mistake. Listen, I've done, I look back on some of the things I've done in ministry and go, man, was that wrong? Man, was that wrong? But man, there were so many good things that came from it. Surely it wasn't all wrong. No, no, no. That was God's grace working. I did a lot of things, like Paul said, in ignorance and unbelief. I didn't understand these things. I was just so fiery without, without wisdom. <laughs> I remember the first sermons that I preached were horrible, right? I've told you about them. They were horrible. 
and God showed up and performed crazy miracles. Was that because I was so great? No. It's because God was so great. Because God wants to be where people who want Him are. We can't mistake the, the grace of God for our successes. God is going to restore his house to the house of prayer. I remember the, the uh, African missionary from Uganda who had experienced the devastation of AIDS upon his country. I might have brought up in here, but he said, there are two ways that America will see revival, and that's by desperation or devastation. And we in Uganda had revival through devastation, and I can tell you, you don't want it. But how do I take America to desperation? America, who has everything she needs, who is the wealthiest nation in all the world, who you're going to go home and have the comforts of your own house, None of you are going to starve today. None of you are going to worry about where your water comes from or you have sewage. Nobody here that you know is going to die because of diarrhea or anything like that because you don't have medicine. None of you. We are so comfortable that we've fallen asleep. We are much like Peter, and right now we need a good, swift kick. Peter, wake up. Can't you pray even just for one hour? thing is man the whole this whole this whole thing is about taking ownership it's about owning it right nobody i'm not here to beat you up and be the hammer today i'm telling you right now it's just about owning it this is my prayer my prayer every time always lord it's my fault it's my fault not yours it's mine that's how i pray so i'm not worried about you you worry about you i'm worried about me it's my fault lord that we're not this way god it's my fault i repent for me god and i repent for all of us And I follow in the footsteps of Daniel when I do that. And I follow in the footsteps of Nehemiah when I do that. And I watched as their prayers are answered. And I believe that God will answer my prayers. Amen. Just like you should believe God will answer yours when you follow in the footsteps of those before you who lead in the ways of righteousness. 2 Chronicles 7.14 should be one you're all familiar with. Then if my people who are called by name will humble themselves and what? And pray. And what? And pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and restore their land. Let me tell you something this morning. This isn't yesterday's promise. This is today's guarantee. God is searching. He is looking for the Daniels of today. He is looking for the Nehemiahs, for those willing to stand in the gap, for those who are willing to surrender in prayer, for those who are willing to rebuild the altars of prayer. And my question this morning is that you, this is what Jesus wants. This is what put Jesus on the cross. The selflessness of Christ is seen in those who he poured himself out for. Prayer will not only change things outwardly, but it's going to change us as well. Make no mistake about it. We talked about that from the very beginning. Do not be afraid of prayer for that. Because you need it. If prayer changes you on the inside, you need it. You need it. Will you be moved to pray this morning? Will you help in rebuilding the altars of prayer? It has to happen, not just for your sake, but for the sake of our city, for the sake of our community, and for the sake of our nation. Will you become the house of prayer? That's the mandate. Make no mistake. That's the mandate. That we be the house of prayer. Not the house of anything else. God never said we had to be the house of programs. Never said that. Never said we had to be the house of worship. But he did call us the house of prayer. We have to be. Listen. It's not easy. I know. I know that. I know it's not easy, and, and I know that, that it's, it's not, 
It's probably one of the hardest things you'll ever do. Honestly, I would think almost it's impossible. <laughs> Physically and mentally, right? But that's the idea. That's the whole concept, I think. This is where we lean on Jesus, right? You find out the same way I do, that it's not by human strength that we do these things. It's by our faith in Christ, right? And even that, right, is a gift from high, right? So that we won't ever be able to boast like, oh, we became such prayer warriors and revival came through prayer. Not because I had the desire to get down and pray because I didn't. I fought that self-desire in me. I didn't want to get down on my knees. I didn't want to come up to the altar. I didn't want to pray. I didn't want to do these things. I fought that desire in me, but there was something else in me, a seed of faith, a faith that can move mountains that was in me. And that seed began to be moved in me and began to uh, change something inside of me and it pushed me down to my knees. It caused me to take ownership in everything so that when anything should come from, any result whatsoever should come from prayer, I can't even boast about it as something that I did or worked towards. Why? Because Christ drove me to it. I was simply imitating that which I saw and that which I witnessed. Amen. So that I could say like Jesus, I did what the Father, I said what the Father said and I did what I saw the Father do. Amen. We're going to have a time of worship, a time of worship, and in this time of worship is the time where we repent, and then we're going to open up the altars for a little bit, and if you have something you want to pray for, if you want me to help you pray, if you want me to lay hands, whatever that is, if you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit this morning, whatever that is, we'll believe together and we'll pray for it. Sicknesses need to be healed. Somebody needs to be standing in the gap for it. Let's do it this morning and then after that we're going to take communion it's an appropriate time it's been a while and it's time we remember who we are and what the Lord has done for us amen amen let's worship this morning exalted Father because you are worthy King of Kings and Lord of Lords
Give us clean hands and a pure heart. Wash us white as snow, Lord. Man, at this time, we're going to open the altars. If there's something you need prayer for, it starts by first approaching the altar, first coming out and saying, Lord, I'm just going to take a risk. I'm going to take a risk, God. And stepping out from your comfort and into the place of faith. So the altars are open. If you need prayer this morning, find your way to the altar right now. This is the time. This is the time. You've heard the word of the Lord today. The seed has been planted. Now let the rain do its part. Let the rain do its part this morning. Just begin to pray. Even if you're right there where you're standing, begin to pray. You can pray out loud. You can speak in another language. Either way, just begin to pray right now where you're at. This place will be called the house of prayer. This place will be called the house of prayer. in the tent so he is here this morning I feel like the Lord would say I, I know this isn't a, 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 a building of, of structure but this is the tent of the Lord and my presence is here saith the Lord this is my house says the Lord ways that you would heal our land, God. Lord, we present a filthy nation before you, God, and we repent, God. Lord, heal our land, God. Save our children, Lord. Not for our sake, Lord, but for your righteous honor, God. Hear our prayer this morning, God. Lord, for those that are sick this morning, Lord, and they couldn't be here, or maybe they can't be at wherever church they're going to, Lord, we, we speak out for them, God. Those who are voiceless this morning, God, and maybe sitting idle, we speak out for them, and we lay hands on them, God, and we ask the anointing be poured upon them, God, that they may speak in other tongues and other languages, God, that they may speak the words of the healed, speak the words of the miracle, God, upon their life, Father. 
Lord, for those who have found themselves weary and tired, Lord. The things of this world have grown to them, God. They feel like they're encaged in, Lord, by the the social side of everything, God, maybe by their work, maybe by the, the crazy busyness that we allow our lives to get in, Lord. I pray for calm to be in the storm. Whether that's here or anywhere, Lord, I pray that there be calm in the middle of the storm, God, that the wind and waves would, be, would cease, God, and that they would have clarity. Father, I pray for the lost this morning. Those who do not know you and have yet to know you, God, we call them awake in Jesus' name. Lord, as we prepare to reach out to people for Easter, God, I pray that for every single letter that gets mailed out, for every single person that gets invited, Father, that you would allow their hearts to be open, that you would begin preparing the way, even right now, God, in opening their hearts, God, in opening their minds, Lord, to not the things that I will say or the things that they will experience, God, but that they would open their hearts to you and to your word and to your promise of salvation, God. Awaken the sleepwalkers, God. Lord, there are some whose faith has sat dormant long enough. If that is you this morning, the Lord says, arise in Jesus' name. There are those waiting on an answer even now in here. And the Lord says, the command is ready to be given if you'll but pray. God is ready to send angels if you'll but pray. education over every one of us, Lord, that we would draw hungry and thirsty, Lord, for your word once more, that we would begin to soak up the pages of your word. Lord, forgive us at times for wanting a revelation when you have given us so many and we've yet to read them. We are guilty of being lazy, Lord, but Lord, we need your grace and we need your mercy, God. Help us to walk in a way that is right. Show us how. Show us how, Lord. Lord, there are those who've been dry for far too long. They're like a parched desert. You know who you are. The Lord says this morning to dig. The rain is coming. Listen, all people, the rain is coming. You've been parched for far too long. The cracks have started to show. The earth has presented itself. The dust grows says rain is coming rain is coming 
rain is coming, saith the Lord. basis because I always think of, you know, I look at the disciples with Jesus and I see a group of buddies. They were all friends. We forget that. It wasn't like a school classroom where they just sat and they learned and they shut up when the teacher talked, although they shut up when he did talk. But it was a group of friends. Can you imagine Peter sitting around going, you, you've turned this thing that my friend created into something that's just a ritual done? Like, I, I think about that. Like, I, I would have been so angry to see it just turned into just something you just do. And it becomes something that, that loses its value, you know, if we just turn it into this ritualistic thing. And so we tend not to have it. We, we tend not to have a set time when we have it. Just so it's special. So that every time we do communion, it's special. We remember, like Peter remembers, our friend. 
Yeah, he's our God. Yeah, we call him for a lot of things. But for Peter, it was flesh and blood. It was, that was my friend, you know? We walked through the gospel of Mark, which was Peter's version of the whole story, right, of how it unfolds to him. So that when we would take communion and we share a communion, we remember our friend, our friend who died for us, who got up on the cross and he bore our sins. We sing about being covered in the blood. Aren't you glad you are? Covers all our sins, takes it all away. Oh, this isn't a sad time to take communion. Oh, this is a joyous one. This is where we remember what has happened. Oh, it was tragic, and we won't forget the tragedy of it, sure. But in that tragedy was birthed something greater. In that tragedy was birthed life. In his suffering, he created the church. It was all born from his suffering, from his anguish. And so today we do this not, yes, in remembrance, yes, of course, of the things he's done, but we do it also to honor him. We remind ourselves of his sacrifice our friend, Jesus. His body, which was pierced. Shoulders probably broken to put him up there. His ribs case collapsing in on him where he can't breathe because he's hanging there. We think about the blood that is poured out. How much it covers us stains us with the truth that we're the responsible ones for putting him there but it also cleanses us and makes us white and according to revelations which is a vision of the future when we are there he says who are these people John John goes I know who they are there are those who've been made white by what the blood of the lamb praise God what a vision so we take this and we remember we take this and we give honor we take this and we give glory to where glory is due to Jesus amen stick of the bread we remember the sacrifice let's take the cup now it says after that my grand my grandpa I was about to say my grandpa Joy's grandpa. I didn't have grandpas growing up, so I adopted Joy's. He used to always love to say after communion, he says, you know, after communion, they sung a hymn. So I say this one last time. Can we exalt the Lord? Amen.
morning, God, we lift our hands, we lift our hearts, we lift our voices, and we say praise be unto the King of kings, unto the Lord of Lord, who is worthy to be praised, who has saved me from the pits of hell and has born again me a new life, an abundant life in His Son, Jesus, to which I now have an eternal salvation, and you do too. Lord, oh, Father, thank you. I glorify you. Lord, take my life. Use me. Use my hands. Use my feet. Use my mouth. Use everything within me. Use all of my experiences, Lord. Use all of my circumstances, God, to bring glory to your name, God. Lord, that this city may know, that my house may know, that my country may know that you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You are the ruler of this land and the ruler of the earth, God. May your name be forever praised and glorified. In Jesus' mighty and great name, and the whole house of God erupts and says, Amen and Amen. 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 Let's, I mean, I'm going to clap for the Lord. Amen.